This is for the nerds, this is for the brainiacs, this is what we deserve. Go ahead and play it, man. I know it, I know. All right, everyone, we are live for the Solve for Why vlogcast. Pre-production was super fire. Berkey and I have been arguing since the wee hours of the morning. So, some major topics today. We're going to talk about uh, Lex. He ends up just like scooping a stadium series, Poker Stars, 90 stacks. Ends up streaming after that. 12 hours, more than 12, 13 hours, gets heads up in another bird, all on all on stream. I guess like I want to bring like I want to highlight Lex, but before that, I want to see like the impact of streamers altogether, right? Okay. So we're probably six to seven years into poker streaming as a whole, maybe. Six, I would say, yeah, 2014. What do you think has been, like, the general impact? Um, I don't know. It's tough to say. I, I probably haven't followed it closely enough long term. I think that it created a subculture of fandom and, uh, like, a new tier of poker pros that are heavily followed by the masses. Mm -hmm. I think that, like, there is the hard divide now between the high rollers the uh established pros that lean into coaching and then the i guess i don't i don't know what to qualify streamers as because they range so vastly mm. in talent right there are some that are just like really good with the stream there are some that are exceptional poker players who also stream there are some that fall somewhere in the middle but i think that you know they get a stage day in and day out to kind of put their craft on display, whether that's their ability to engage an audience or to win a poker tournament. So maybe seven years, six years ago, Jay Carver like hits the scene, right? He starts with Cake Network, like eating cake, which is like the original stuff, mm -hmm. like the original YouTube stuff. I was the like the first one. Yeah, it was like I was the first one there. At least for me, it was like super engaging and it got me into like even understanding like why people do certain actions and like like pretty much like basic understanding of poker. And now I'm like sitting here like all these years later, and maybe there's other people that look at the current streamers for the same reason. And I think I think it's like a positive event, like simply based on it helps. It's like a little bit of strategy, but it's also just like it keeps poker at the front of your mind. Do you, would you agree with that? Yeah, I, I I don't know where the line is drawn between it shining a spotlight on the community and there just being uh, like almost fatigue of some sort. Um, but I mean, like this WSOP is a good example. There's a myriad of streams for people to choose from, and it seems like nobody can get enough. Mm -hmm. So I guess like that's a pretty good thing and it seems like it's a pretty great uh marketing tool for the vast majority of of these online poker sites i honestly feel like the streamers themselves outside of a few exceptions like jay carver and lex and uh you know maybe a, a short list of other guys who are inked up um they're probably not getting their just dues because it's not like esports where they can scale quickly into household names that we all recognize uh i can't recall the one guy's name but he played Fortnite with like drake and 
uh, Juju Smith and a few other athletes and all this other stuff. It's just like he blew up out of nowhere. Ninja, yeah. Uh, simply because, you know, he's good at a game. That's not going to happen in poker. You know, you're not going to see uh, a poker streamer with 3 million followers on Twitch. I think you could do it, Burke. I don't. I really don't. I think you're interesting enough. Like, people really like... Uh... I don't think it's about the person. What do you think it's about? I think it's about the allure of the task at hand. And I think that poker is too static in its in its aesthetics. So, like, you can watch somebody play Fortnite for an extended period of time because it's a narrative. It's moving mm -hmm. towards something. You don't see that narrative progress in a tournament. If you're watching for an hour and it's the mid-stage, it's just still the mid-stage an hour later. And nothing changed. There have been streamers like Jake Harver that have pushed a narrative. I want to play this video for you. <laughs> That's right. I've joined forces with the world's largest and greatest online poker site to bring you guys the best streams that we have ever created to date. Mirko, you were right. We did it. We did it. We did it. Pen, Jack, Queen, King, Ace, Royal Flush. Honestly, like watching that, it's kind of nostalgic to me. It's like how when I watched Kobe Bryant, like back in the day, like, you know, RIP Kobe Bryant, you know, much love. But like it brought such joy to me, like watching Kobe and like similarly, like watching Jay Carver, like I tuned into run it up number 21, run it up number 22, run it up number 20. I would watch them again, like on replay, like just like watch it. And then like, it's like, oh yeah, he was battling El Guapo today. And it's like, I will play it. And then I would like send out El Guapo hand to my friend. And it's like, now it's like, I feel like maybe there's people like that watching you, watching Lex, watching other people. And they just like have this kind of connection. Like there's people on your stream that are there every single day. Angel for you or he's there every Angel single. Angel for you to envy. I yeah, got it finally. Literally every single day. Every single day. He start to finish every single day talking like engaging with you and i don't know like like did you have that connection with like a maybe like barry bonds or something like that like was that person for you um i mean it's so different right like with sports you just get to see them do their thing you never hear them speak like actually hearing barry bonds do interviews was like don't ever meet your heroes kind of thing mm -hmm. he was a total prick and i spent more of my time defending him than i did actually feeling a connection towards him yeah, I don't know. It's weird. Like, I see Jay Carver. There's only one Jay Carver. He's so happy. He's so engaging. He's so... I don't know, man. He just built something that was, like, really well-constructed and reflective of who he is as a person. It's fun. It's it's jovial. It's uh, engaging. It's community. It's great. Do you think he had a storyline? Uh, yeah. Well, I don't know. Because I guess, like, I couldn't easily identify it, if that's the case. I think he's good at uh, creating kind of like retention mechanisms, like the Bink Bell and mm -hmm. uh, the the Leprechaun and the Raven. And the, these things, they're retention mechanisms, right? They're things that you can continually call back. The Raven was for the cage that he stole from you. I know, that fucker. <laughs> that was my goddamn line. I want you to know that Angel for You to Envy is also in the chat today. Of course. Of course. Of course. Uh, Shout out. <laughs> I, I think that I want to compare then that, like that era. It's not... It's an era because I, I feel like Jake Carver's streaming era has come to an end at this point. He's, yeah. moved, he's moved on to, you know, try to be an end boss in other arenas. And now we have Lex, right? And I guess I want to play 
you know, for those of you that don't follow Lex closely, uh, and I want to play a little bit of like best of Lex, right? And then kind of compare the two mm -hmm. and then see where we go from there. A little ducky, this is a Fenton stream now. I'm a little ducky. You're ducky. <laughs> no fucking way. Oh, okay. <clears throat> All right, no, it's fine. He can have aces. All right. He can have aces. He can have another ace. You know, he can have three aces. He can have any fucking thing he wants. <laughs> yes. Oh my God, we did it. Two fucking hands. Yes. Yes. All right. Yes. So I relate a lot more to Lex. You like more Lex? No, I, it's not that I like him more. I relate a lot more to him. It's like the, there's a huge difference. Like Jay Carver's streams were were super chill and fun. And he, he was great at the production element. And uh, I guess like turning it into almost like a backyard football game of sorts. Like it's a playground, right? Lex is in a super competitive atmosphere. Mm. And that's what I feel when I stream. It's just like, you know, you try to downplay it as much as you can, but when you're putting up 5K worth of buy-ins every single day and you're putting it on display over and over and over again, it's like, it's really hard not to dig in deep to the analysis, dig in deep to uh, the the results, the the responses. It's so hard not to make a hero call and then see a ridiculous hand and not laugh at that person, right? It's not ill-willed. It's not ill-intended to embarrass the other person. It's just like, you know, that's, that's the competitive response. It's like, oh, I'm going to make this outlandish call that I don't necessarily think makes sense, but you, you sir... You, sir, might be getting a little out of line here, and I'm going to mm -hmm. play sheriff. And you see it, and it's just like, yes, you know, that what a fucking joke of a hand. And then the other person might get offended, and there's this whole, I, I don't know, man. It's not, I feel like Lex is way more spicy than Jay Carver. Like, yeah. Like, he, the reason people like Lex is because they think he's like, he's the realest streamer, mm -hmm. you know? Over here, we're the realest podcast, right. but he's the realest streamer. And I let him have that lane. Mm -hmm. I think it's okay. Mm -hmm. But you are trying to go for his lane. I think you're trying to like cut him, cut him. Like you're going to be like, yo, listen, I'm the realest streamer. I tell Guru he's not that good. I tell like, I tell it how it is. Don't come at me. That's it. I'll play. I'll play this music every fucking day. If you don't like it, kick rocks. Like that's how you are. And I respect it. Yeah. I'm not intentionally coming after Lex, but that is definitely who I am. Like I, I'm not, I'm not one to, to try to like bend or break to some sort of conformed norm i guess you from you straight hood you from the hood like i don't know about that but like, it's really hard to stream for hours on end yeah, and be yeah. disingenuous to yourself i'm competitive as fuck mm -hmm. i'm gonna make comments whenever i see things that i think are out of line i'm not implying that i'm playing perfectly i'm sure if we were able to put the other person in front of a camera and have them analyze my play they'd find a lot to pick apart i yeah i agree i agree i do want to break down a little bit of a hand from lex it's a famous one. Kind of like people really like this one. The only hand I know of Lex is where he folds jacks. All right. Well, you're going to know another one. Okay. He was so excited. He's like, this is what we study for. We fold this hand. And then they both had sevens. Oh, man. <laughs> ah, that was hurt. Yeah. <laughs> that was hurt. Uh, yesterday, I, I was playing, you know, a little bit off topic. And Poppy was Poppy was at the, at the Venetian. And I went and stopped by. Played this like massive hand versus a guy. Like, and I had top two. And I, I make like a huge call on the turn. And he, he and then he has like a draw and he gets there and I, he shows and I just like muck my hand and seven people with Poppy behind me are like, what did you have? And I'm like, eh, you know, whatever. 
And he's like, no, 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 like, really? What did you have? And like five different times, they all asked what I had. And it was like super obvious. Like, I either have like a set or top two. Yeah. But like, it was pretty, it was pretty, uh, it was kind of tilting actually. But I tried to like keep a smile, you know? I was like, you know, I'm just a, I'm just a representative of the people. And I was like, mm -hmm. this motherfucker idiot thinks I was gonna <laughs> shove, think I was gonna fucking bet fold that. My range is fucking nutted on the third line. <laughs> But I, I think if I was on stream by myself, I would have been like, this fucking clown, like, yeah. you know, like. Right, because they're just an anonymous screen name who made a, you know, questionable play. Yeah, but there was like this nice guy in front of me. I'm like, you know, you deserve the thousands of dollars I just handed mm -hmm. you with your terrible play. Mm -hmm. I think I was going to fold. All right. So let's play this hand history. Actually, Lex, which was considered new school versus Doyle. No, you know, you go hard when you get Doyle to put it in with queen seven. Lex swapped a pair of deuces. Doyle says, hey, I'm still stuck. My winning streak's on the line. Let me pick up this little pot here. So flop one, check, check. Now Doyle bombs this turn. Like super polar. 20,500. 20, pretty much like a pot size bet on this turn. Doyle has, I mean, Lex has bottom pair. <laughs> Wow, four comes out there. Two, three, four, six. So now the board four lines to the five. Doyle defended from the big. Doyle is not giving up. 60,000. Another pot size bet. Yo, Doyle actually has the right combo. Like, like Doyle's a seven. Like, that's the hand he's supposed to bluff. Like, obviously, he shouldn't, I mean, he shouldn't really have queen seven, but like, how about no, seven? Queen, queen like, seven's fine. All right, but let's say you have the like, line sucks. I mean, if you had seven eight, okay. So, if you had seven eight, this is kind of a good combo, right? Like, if you had seven eight, like he's repping pretty polar on the turn. The problem is like he reps so polar on the turn, like it's kind of weird because he's not repping a jack on the turn, right? Like with his sizing. Yeah, I don't think seven eight is. I I mean, okay, fine, but yeah, you're not gonna you're not gonna bet pot on turn. That's with the problem. Eight. Yeah, like you should be repping a jack on the turn more often than like. Like you should be repping a complete range on the turn, like right. jack plus sets plus right. straights, and then on the river if you want to polarize to like a five or air, that's fine. So Lex goes on to say, like this was a huge call at the, at the time. Like, sure. Like it's like yo, he just got called with it. Yeah, first of all, he had, nine do suited yeah, in the one. First hole. of all, he, he yeah, like the fact that you said the one hole points to the fact of how old this is. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, like so he opened the like nine deuce under the gun slash the one hole. Doyle splashes with him and he says, I'm gonna give you some action, son. You know, after this ends, they interview Lex. Mm. Uh, and he says, like, Doyle doesn't really play like that anymore. Like, uh, like long ball, big bet poker, like in the book. Yeah. Right. He's saying when he takes this, obviously, he didn't use the terminology. When he takes this polarizing sizing, it's just like he doesn't do this with, he's not balanced. It's like leaning bluff. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I thought at the time, like, Lex is pretty ahead of his time. Like, he is opening pretty wide and then making correct assumptions at a high enough frequency to show a profit. You said he used to go hard. Like, explain that a little bit more. Do you think he, like, he still goes hard? Do you think that? Oh, I think he's different? super, super calculated and studied now. But, like, I used to play a lot with him between, I guess it would have been, like, 08 and 2011. We played a lot of like 510 to 2550 uncapped at the win. And, you know, we sat crazy deep. We were the laggiest guys in the game. He was a fucking maniac. Like that was just a, that was a perfect reflection of 
like how he would play uncapped games. And at that time, that was by far the the most profitable style. Mm. I don't even think it was remotely close. Like aggression just won a lot in an environment where people underaggressed, over bluff caught, and almost never bluffed. So like you could literally just pour on aggression until somebody responded aggressively. And then you just quit. Mm. You're just like, oh, I guess they have it. And like it, w- it would lead to the most aggressive players in the game, not only like showing up with the thinnest value spots you've ever seen, but also just making like the most absurd hero folds where it's just like, how could you ever fold a set mm-hmm. in a scenario where like you're playing 80% of hands and pouring in money fist by fist, right? And it's just like, well, because you've raised me for the first time in three weeks, so you probably have a better hand. And it was poker was that easy back then. You said that that was the most profitable style back then. What do you think the most profitable style is now? Then I think it's like calculated aggression. I mean, people still don't understand the bluffing lens of the game very well. They still don't understand the bluff catching lens as a byproduct of that very well. So people as a whole, as a collective, the community is still very poor at uh, understanding decisions driven through EV. A good example of this is I went on a a rant yesterday where I made a hero call uh, with third pair for like a big chunk of my stack, but it was quarter pot on the river. Mm. And I had a seven on eight, seven, or sorry, on nine, eight, X, seven, X. And it went small bet, small bet, small bet. Yeah. By the original preflop razor. And I was like, you know, this line doesn't make any sense. Like it doesn't associate itself with over pairs it doesn't really associate itself with like top pair by the time we arrive at river a lot of these hands should want to check uh it doesn't make that much sense with like five six or jack ten but it could make sense if like this person perceives me as being too weak to call a bigger bet i get it like whatever at the end of the day i unblock all of the potential bluffs because i don't have a jack a ten a five or a six in my hand or queen i block bottom set or middle set whatever so for those reasons, like, whatever, I'm just getting too good of a price. I have to call. And I was wrong, like, uh, wrong. Uh, she had a set. And it's just like, okay, like, no big deal. And I got lambasted where it's like, it's so obvious. Like, she just has the nuts there all the time, yada, 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 yada. It's like, yeah, but, like, she only has to not have the nuts one in four times. And it's fine, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's like people just have a very large disconnect between the gradient spectrum that is pot odds and the binary result of win or lose. Let's talk about that. Because I, I think that it's important to touch like all the bases, right? So I don't think you're, you're wrong. I, I don't think you're wrong. I, I, I think you're right. But I think that there's people that just say like, I'm just getting a really good price and I have a hand like so I call. Like I think that's a little bit dangerous though because like there are people... Like, as an exploitative player, there are just, like, at times where you should just make the fold, even getting the right price. Because people are not bluffing at the frequency that you're being, the price being late. Um, yeah, but those times are only when you can say that with certainty. Don't you, like, okay, as an elite player, exploitative elite player, there are times you can say that. Like, you could just say that. Like, I can... Online, not often. Okay. But, I mean, sure, there will be portions of the tree that you stumble down where the line that they took allows them to arrive at a decision point with no bluffs. Mm-hmm. I felt this was the opposite. Right. I felt that the line that she took or he or whatever 
was kind of the opposite. It was difficult to find value that would choose these sizes. For sure. So it's like, I don't know what the fuck is happening here, and I don't know what kind of hand I'm going to get shown. My hand wouldn't be a hand that would call a reasonable size bet, but given the 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 thing that's being presented to me right now, what's the difference? So I basically made the argument that the board was 9-8-X-7-X. And I said, if I had called with Ace-9, you all would think it was a cooler. Mm-hmm. But because I called with Ace-7, you all think I'm an idiot. And the hands are precisely the same. Because you don't think... She's uh, just not going to have a 9. She's not going to have a 9 Right, the same line. Right. Because just, she wouldn't bet court like third pot on the turn with a, a naked nine trying to, because you would probably protect exactly. hand or even an over pair at that point. It's right, right. two spades. It's, it's, right. you know, it's pretty wet board, board straightening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's just like, and even if you do somehow arrive at a small bet on the turn, you're not going to small bet thinly for value. I would have to think this person is insanely good to choose a one pair hand that could just get check shoved. So you're landing on the river, assuming that she's actually pretty polar, but choosing the wrong and correct sizing, right. which actually lets you to call. So like, when when she chooses the small bit on the turn, most of her hands are not incentivized to choose that size, right. that of which would likely choose the bigger size, unless she has a lock, right? Right. Um, so when we land in the river, she's actually pretty polar. You block a set. She's repping a polar range. You don't have to worry about like 9x or whatever. So you're getting a good price. So now you call. Yeah. That's pretty much where, where yeah. we're breaking it down. And the thing is, is that it's like ace nine is a no-brainer call. Yeah. Right. So it's like if ace nine is a no-brainer call and the properties between ace seven and ace nine in this spot really don't matter then I'm just going to lean into the price because I don't know enough to make an educated decision the other way. So I want to play something where people do actually speak their thoughts out loud. And then I'm going to ask you if we're going to see a resurgence of this kind of product. Um, I think this is a pretty strong flop in my hand. I have back door outs and an open-ended straight draw. I'm... uh. Almost 100% certain he's going to continuation bet, but I guess we'll see. It's not the greatest board for uh, my defend range, so but I'm going to let him keep leading the way. So I am going to check back. So he's smarter than I thought, and he decided to check. But I think this is a really good uh, card for me to bet. So I'm going to bet. All right. So ruthless. that is our flagship product, Poker Out Loud. That was season two. As you saw, Kelly Minkin and Jordan Young were both there battling it out. And I thought uh, Kelly played that hand exceptionally well. Uh, flop went. She defended the big blind. Flop went check, check. She overbets the turn, ripping a... She could pretty much overbet the turn with any 10 uh, or better there. Uh, yeah. So pretty good in that situation. The question I get all the time, I went down to the strip. They were like, when is Poker Out Loud coming out? Or when is Poker Out Loud coming out? I was, I was wearing my headphones. They're like, okay, are you going to talk to me while you wear your headphones? And I was mm-hmm. like, I should wear a fucking full mask. I thought you were for the people. You, well, yeah, but like, I don't, I'm at work. I'm, like, I'm at a different work. Oh, so you're not for the people when you're, when it inconveniences you. You know I've done Poker Out Loud in real life? No. I've done it in real life. Like, it, for real money. So I'm super for the people. Don't fucking question me, man. Uh, Listen, I've had my headphones on mm-hmm. and I said, I will do, I will say everything about the hand without mentioning my hand and you still won't know my hand. Mm. And all I did was talk in range versus range. That was a real test of my knowledge. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, I should be betting this for a third pot with my entire range. If the turn comes this, this, and this, I will be taking this action. The turn came and I would be like, okay, well, I'm going to be repping. I'm going to use this sizing with this section of my range and this section of my range. And they were like, yo, I don't know. <laughs> 
like, I'm going to take your course, bro. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, yeah, that's right, bro. At um, that time, it was 125 Right. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm not doing that for $10, bro. I'm yeah. telling you right now. I ain't going down to the strip and telling you my thought process for nine nine nine. You're going to have to pay me my pot, and then I'll tell you. Well, there's your answer, then. They're going to pay my pot. We, uh, we'll, we'll resurge Poker Out Loud when COVID ends, and we can rescale the poker site, or the, the TV site, rather, back to normal, releasing content you know, pretty close to daily. I'm not going to let you off the hook that easy. I'm gonna play you a competitive product and see what happens. So let's play let's play uh run it once elite. Um ace seven offsuit still I think not quite strong enough for a raise, maybe ace eight, certainly ace nine, I think, goes into my raising range against his limps. So far, uh Tunis has not open raised the small blind, so I'm gonna assume that he's limping his full continuing range until kind of proven otherwise. Run it once plays no. a six handed match online and they pretty much get like some of their best pros and they play the six-handed match online they all are able to speak about their decisions and it gets edited a bit to just make sure that the people that are relevant to talk are talking at the yeah, right yeah. time etc etc very similar it's like the online version of poker allowed without the they did it first yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, uh, I, I, I remember the first time, I think they called it like pros versus pros or yeah, something. Yeah, pros, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I believe that's true. It was like a sit and go. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was a tournament version. Yeah, yeah. Um, so now this is the cash game version. It's running once elite, but on the site is called uh, Golf on and Friends. Okay. What's the difference? Like, like is pitch me why I should uh, like poker all loud more. It's live. It's the same, but it's very, very different. I think that, like, aesthetically, it's a lot more, from an entertainment standpoint, it's a lot more fascinating to watch a live poker game play out um, with the full production. I think that, like, the online version of this is good, uh, but it's a lot more stringent to, uh, I guess, the learning mechanisms. Mm -hmm. And the other thing is that, like, when you're playing online, your decision time is so reduced. Yeah. because of time bank so the ability to talk through spots is tremendously hedged and it's just it's gonna be incredibly difficult for them to actually touch upon all the major points that they need to in a hand um so you're just gonna get a lot more broad stroke type stuff where we can dig in deep like there are often points where we're talking for like three minutes at a time so there's been some of the complaints of poker out loud are that the hands take too long like like the viewers are like, this is like a 20 minute, like 25 minute hand. Yeah. Um, do you think that's something that should change? Or do you think that people should just enjoy the fact that people are, are airing out their thoughts in full? Or should it be more of a viewer friendly, I guess? It is viewer friendly. It's, you just have to see it through the lens of which it is. It's, it's uh, cinemagraphic. Right, like you're getting the full story from start to finish. It's not about seeing a hundred hands; it's about seeing one hand go through the entire process of of storytelling. Right, it, it, you you go from the beginning to the crescendo, all the way back to the end, and you deal with the fact that you're you're getting nuggets of knowledge along the way. So, the reason that it's built the way that it's built is to cater to all types of viewers. You can watch it strictly for entertainment 
and see now a well-produced storytelling version of a hand playing from start to finish. You could watch it from a strategic standpoint and you're certainly not going to want to parse down all of the, the strategy that each individual is giving away. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you can watch it for like something in between. I think for the most part, we've done a pretty good job of casting people that are good at conveying their thoughts. There have been a handful of examples where I think maybe we might have missed the mark a little bit. But in a general sense of the like maybe 20 people who have played, I would say there's only like one or two that kind of like stepped out. And if I were watching, I would want to fast forward the hands that they were in. Hey, yo. <laughs> I didn't say it wasn't you. <laughs> I don't think it might have been me. It might have been me. You know, but then why am I all, all the seasons? That's right. You're a graceful loser. I, I've won some seasons. Bro. I've won two seasons. Every even season. I'll get a $30 million contract if I was batting 500. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of you that wish you were batting 500 back in the, in the Aria. What's the future? What's the future of poker a lot? I feel like there's a lot of ways you can go. We could step into Phil Goffon's lane real easy. And be like, yo, that, that's way cheaper to produce, bro. Like, that, that, that was, yeah. We could do that. We can... Uh, and then we had the student version. Like, what's the future of poker out loud? I feel like it could go in a diff- different way. Like, we can do some online. What do you think the people want to see? Um, I'm not entirely sure. I know what I have planned out. I want to do a vlogger edition for YouTube that we put out. Name me some people you want. Uh, it's going to, well, I have soft commits from Nimi, Jamin, Marley, Raising the Nuts, uh, Trevor Savage, Johnny, and. I had the Paulo on the list, but I didn't. I hadn't asked him yet. So anyway, uh, we definitely have six for that. I want to try to like do a collab with other training sites, get six coaches to play. I think that would be really good. Um, Versus us. Well, yeah. So like four coaches and you and I. Mm, well, let's 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 name them. Who you want? Phil Galfon. Galfon would be great. Golf won't be great, but he doesn't play No Limit. He'll probably send one of his No Limit guys to try to beat him. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. He'll be like, he can send sauce. He'll be like, I'll send you sauce. And I'll be like, God damn, bro. Yeah. You don't got anybody else. Like, <laughs> like, like you want to bring a sauce. Why don't you bring us someone that's not sauce? He like, said Kruk. I like Kruk a lot. Kruk is good. Kruk is chill. Isn't it? It's also not sauce. That's true. Yeah. You know? It's like, I don't know. Like, sauce has this allure to me where it's like, want to play sauce man like i'll play anybody Why? who cares like it's not like we're playing massive stakes i think it's like really good i think yeah, like, yeah, that's fair rabbit would be great too like there's kevin rabbit a boss like that dude's good i played with him in lapc he did really well mm-hmm. um i didn't know it was him for a long time i i like was pretty sure it was him but i kept convincing myself he wouldn't be playing a 10k in la because mm. like as far as i knew he didn't really play live events all that much and then i think yeah. he went on to like finish inside the final two tables yeah he's, he's good he's a. Uh... Very good poker mind. Uh, probably like Phil says that he watches Kevin for like when he wants to learn about theory. Yeah, which is a really good. That's a really good statement. You know. Yeah. Um, I watch you. Thanks. When I want to learn about theory, and you watch me when mm-hmm. I want to learn about women. <laughs> I, I think I think that's uh, that's a really good trade. Sure. I sure. think you've done well in that, and I've done well in mine. Sure. So okay, student edition is already out. Yep. So the people can watch that on YouTube right now. I believe it's it's a pretty long season. I think it's ten episodes, maybe twelve. And that was a situation where it was like your team versus my team. We didn't do well, and I knew that was going to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, was it because I got Fausto? He didn't like, get that out of line. Lukic was the one who got out of line. I thought Lukic was going to be my pick to click. 
Yeah, well, he just started spazzing. He didn't. He he doesn't know what to do with Ace Nine in the small blind. He was coming after you, man. And I have six bet on flip <laughs> ten, so I never do that. But I was like, no, 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 no. You don't have a calling range in the uh -huh. small blind, and that's gonna give you too many bluffs. That's true. And that means that my hand is value. Yep. So I'm all in. And he's like, oh god, no. <laughs> Yeah, that happens, man. You guys got to develop multiple strategies. If you're out there, you got to listen. You you can't have a transparent strategy. You probably should have a calling range and a three bet range in the small blind. If you only have a three bet range, then you probably don't have really good hands. In the three, every hand is three bet. What are you gonna do with ace eight suited, and king queen suited, and king queen offsuit, and sevens, and ace two suited, and sixes, and ace queen offsuit? All these hands, you're gonna three bet all of them. I'm just gonna four bet, and then what are you gonna do? Mm-hmm. Do you like flatting the small blind, Burke? What, what do you, what's your strategy there? Um, I flat a lot from the small. I, I definitely flat way more from the small blind than conventional wisdom allows. But uh, most of the games I'm playing are really deep. Mm. So I think that keeping the SPR great uh, when you're sacrificing position is incentivized. I'm with you, man. I told you, you're from the hood. I started this podcast <laughs> with you from the hood. You know what I'm saying? Like, you're from the hood. Can't you? You know how much. No matter how much money you make, Burke, no matter where you live, can't take the hood out of you. You know what I'm saying? You grew up fucking eating ketchup. <laughs> like, I don't know if trailer park trash is the same as hood, but shit. I was in the hood, man. Like, I was in a, I was in a gang called 88th Street. What does that mean? Exactly what it means. I was in a gang called 88th Street. My mom didn't know about that. My mom can't listen to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and you were doing what? Yo, we were fucking. Stealing cigarettes? We used to fight. Versus the gang on 60th Street. Mm -hmm. 60th Street, yo, that gang was real. They were on fucking gangland. Bro, <laughs> I was in the real shit, bro. I was in real shit. You don't know my past, bro. <laughs> I was in real did shit. You, did you get jumped in? Nah, we didn't do that. We used to. I, I, should I even say it? I don't know, man. I, you're in unprecedented territory. I don't know what the <laughs> fuck you're talking about right now. I don't want to say how we usually get in those gangs, bro. If you want to know more about gang life. I'll be at the strip. <laughs> you guys can talk to me. But that's my past life, Burke. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't eat ketchup no more. Sometimes. I like ketchup. You like ketchup with burgers. You're not eating ketchup raw with a fucking sliced bread. Ketchup sandwiches are fucking good. And I ain't walking down a 60th Street with machetes. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? All right. You made a tweet about my man, Ginge Poker. Said he was a pretty nice guy. I like Ginge a lot. Yeah. You, you, uh... I feel like you found him because of me. And then you take credit. I don't know if it was because of you. It was just on my YouTube page. Yeah, because I searched it. Probably. Because <laughs> I searched it. Yeah, probably. <laughs> um, and he was on there. I watched his videos too. I thought it was really good. I wasn't like, I wasn't trying to promote him or anything. But you were like, yo, this guy's really good. Why not? Should, oh, you're right. You're right. I just don't really like promoting people unless they pay me. Um, you put out this. I, I want to talk about just like poker coaching on YouTube as a whole. Okay. So... Uh, obviously, Lex was, uh, he was teamed up with Ben CB, who yeah. has a little bit of uh, content on there. Uh, John Little, BBZ, which there's a, there's other ones like Bluff the Spot. They have some stuff there. Obviously, they're like private companies, but they they have uh, some content on there. Yep. And then there's other people uh, similar to Ginge, similar, that are just like kind of putting things out there for similar to vloggers. That's like a little bit like undefined as to what their agenda is, but they just want to be known, mm -hmm. right? So... I want to play one more. Okay. Finding Equilibrium. Uh, they just don't have enough showdown value, so this, this card kind of sets him up for a two-barrel. I'm certainly going to start with a check. 
and depending on if he overbets or not, I'll be check calling two or just check smashing through. The turn is the seven of hearts and Berkey checks, recognizing that this card gives Nick's preflop flatting range to the theoretical advantage with the goal of ultimately inducing a bet. And we see that this check is consistent with a solver strategy that continues betting with its strongest hands and some draws, but is primarily checking its top pair holdings even with the flush draw. And it is quite common for the solver to play more passively when out of position and deeper stacked, as it will oftentimes shift into bluff catching mode even with relatively strong holdings. All right. So Fizing Equilibrium does a review on one of the hands you played, one of the greatest hands I've ever seen you play, actually. And I've seen you play a lot of hands. Uh, and I thought it was really good. His channel's actually kind of died down. Like, yeah. it, it it just, like, doesn't release any more content, pretty much. Uh, I think he released uh, something called the GTO Blueprint at some point, and then it just kind of stopped. Like, mm -hmm. it was kind of, I don't want to say it was a money grab, whatever, but, like, you know, like, he made this money probably from that product and then just said, like, I'm not going to make any more YouTube content. At least not yet. I know he was working on a product. I didn't know he actually got to the point of promoting one yeah yeah it was called uh uh gto blueprint and, and uh maybe he should send me a referral code uh because like i mentioned <laughs> that on this podcast <laughs> just saying just saying yeah uh, I, I like his stuff I, th I think he does a really good job of analyzing um i think that it's like a tall task to try to even like the fact that he broke that hand down to me is super entertaining and i think that there's probably nuggets of like content to take away that that's helpful but it's also like such an impossible task mm. it was a three-way pot that was three bet pre oh yeah, yeah sorry it was a single race pot right yeah. single race pot but then it was three ways post where you lead i raise and, and nick cold calls yeah, yeah, it's yeah. just like what solver is running this yeah, yeah, yeah. you need like nasa's machine yeah uh so i want like your overall sentiment of the youtube poker coaching scene and like should people go there for knowledge it should like like what is like what is going on like there's like everybody like i just named three people or, or like four people that had like some stuff and there's more stuff like th there's infinite poker coaching content is it good should people like take it with a grain of salt is like what's going on like what's that space looking like right now yeah i mean um you know it's a huge platform obviously there are infinite eyeball well not infinite i mean there's a very finite amount of eyeballs but you know there there's a lot of curiosity to getting better at this game. It's incredibly complex in nature and the barrier of entry is very high, but as you come close to breaching it, your, uh, your learning curve is very sharp. So I think all of these resources facilitate that. Now, whether it actually improves people to the point where they can break through and rise through that uh, sharp learning curve is a whole nother debate. I think it's a lot like fitness, right? Where, um, the general populace just doesn't know very much. And so they defer to their favorite expert to kind of guide them. Now, what qualifies an expert is a whole other issue or debate or whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. And I think the community has a lot to say one way or another as far as like um, who should be trusted and who shouldn't. But the fact of the matter is that right now there is no real rhyme or reason to judging one content creator from the next. So, you know, people are going to have to sift through a whole fuck ton of white noise. The line between content creator and coach is this big. It's just whether or not you charge. Mm. Yeah. W what do you think about that? Like, do you like, 
Well, I think anybody who's if creating you're on content, YouTube, anybody who's creating content on YouTube is doing it with some purpose in mind, whether it's to monetize through a product or to create a platform that they could potentially leverage later. So do you think the, would you say the vloggers are coaches? No. Do you think people go to them for coaching though? Like Maybe. Do, do people go to the vloggers to learn? Possibly. Um, it could just be their introduction to learning and that's fine. Uh, I, there, there's nothing wrong with any of it that, that if that's what you're trying to. No, 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 no. I'm not trying to, that. I'm just trying to say like, there's content creators there like the youtube space is noisy and i'm trying to like yeah, yeah, yeah. super I, noisy. i'm trying to like decipher like what's what right i think like the best thing that a consumer could do is just ask why this person is releasing this content and that will lead you down like once you understand their motives you'll understand what interests they have in mind and whether or not it aligns with what you're seeking so you're good friends with uh jamin or jamin so jamin yeah we always get that wrong i finally stopped yeah <laughs> uh what do you think like so i want to kind of uh break down like a little bit of the space because i think it's a noisy space and there's a lot like we have content on there and are like are we content creators are we coaches we're probably we're both jamin is a content creator nimi is a content creator who has a hand review thing vibes is a content creator who does coaching and staking when people are looking for content on youtube when they have all these people should they be looking for it based on what their the people the creator's agenda is? Well, I think it should just be whatever their goal in mind is, right? So like if their goal is to be entertained, they should be looking for a Marley or a Jamin or even like, you know, Nimi and Owen, all those guys. They're still putting out content to entertain. Mm -hmm. Even we're doing that. Yeah. If their goal is to strictly learn, then you want to do more due diligence and you want to, you know, spend some time vetting the source. Uh, if your goal is both, then you need to do a little less due diligence, but still vet the source, right? It's like you need to be able to decipher once you dig into something, whether or not you're you're watching it for entertainment value or you're watching it for the learning uh, mechanism of it. I think a lot of people watch vloggers as their source of coaching. Maybe, but I think I don't think that's the intention. I think they watch it because they relate they view these people as peers that are probably slightly better than them at the game. So a long time ago, I mean, I don't know if this is true anymore, but what would you say if most people's consumption of the vlogs mostly ended at the hand history section? Like once the hand history started, they turned it off. Once they, the hand history started and ended, it's over. Like they, they ended off. So they're effectively watching well, they're only watching the hand history, right? They're effectively okay. only watching for the analysis of the hand history. Yeah. So that's that's effectively their 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 poker coaching. Sure. Do you think that is like? I think it's super inefficient. I think that there's very little to learn from any one arbitrary hand, or even any one cluster of arbitrary hands. Like it, it's just anecdotal. You know, you're not really gaining any sort of ten thousand foot view. All you're hearing is, and most of the vloggers, when they're going through hand histories, are really just recalling the action. They're not even like digging into strategy. Not much. Very right. surface. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. at best. So like, it's really more just like recalling the action and then justifying Why whatever took, took place. Action. Yeah. Yeah, it's a noisy space, man. I feel like everyone's trying to do something, and it's kind of weird. But I think the same thing's happening from like the solver mechanism mm. standpoint. If you look at like, I'm not gonna start naming names because it just turns into this 
it turns into a Reddit thread. Mm. But I think that there are a handful of people who just like take spots very similar, very anecdotal spots, and they put it through a solve, and they say, "Okay, that's the strategy." Yeah, and like that's not saying anything either. Mm. You know, you just don't learn very much from isolated incidents, especially where the parameter the the most the the greatest takeaway in most instances when you're running a solve is how you arrived at the parameters. That's going to tell you more than enough mm-hmm. for what you need to know of what your holistic strategy should look like, right? So the more dialed in you are to being able to curate parameters, the more confident you're going to be able to exploitatively say, I should counter with X, Y, and Z. When you have zero confidence over the parameters whatsoever, now you have to be analyzing the generic. And when you're analyzing the generic, uh, that's fine, but you now need to know how to apply it. To the specific yeah and that yeah, becomes very that's hard. that's the hard part the right. hard part is learning the g2 approximation and then being able to like re- be in game and then move away you know yeah i was talking to conrad about this uh yesterday i was saying like you know i don't think you're you're spending enough time working on your game like you're, you're not treating this like your professional poker player because you're putting all of your hours into grinding thinking that that's going to lead to a result mm-hmm. and he's like i spent 15 hours studying this week i go what did you study he goes, uh, range converter. I'm like, okay. So you looked at a bunch of formations and you looked at a bunch of different stack sizes. That's... And then you looked at what hands are supposed to do what. He goes, yeah. I go, what did you learn? He goes, nothing. I go, of course not. Yeah. I, I I, well, why would you bother studying that? You could just have it up. He also got it wrong. Like I was there. <laughs> I was there and he three bet like king queen off. From the big blind at like 300 big blinds deep. I'm like, you don't do that. Well, that wasn't what he was studying. He was studying MTT. Ah. But it's just like, what's the purpose of that? Like distilling that into memory when you could literally just have it up on a side monitor is irrelevant. You're not learning anything. You're memorizing something. You know, this isn't your multiplication tables. And also the purpose of memorizing the multiplication tables is to then be able to extrapolate it out. Yeah. So if you can memorize up to 10 times 10, you can then extrapolate that out by adding a zero. Yeah, I always had trouble with the 12. The 12 was hard. Like the 12 times 13, like those those were like, come on, man. Like it has to end at 10. Well, all right. So like that's the thing. The, the, this is this is like what common core uh, that a lot of people have pushed back against and things like that. But it's about learning how to problem solve uh, realistically, right? So if you know what 12 times 12 is, 144, mm-hmm. you know what 12 times 13 is. Because you can just add 12. add 12. Right. Yeah. People don't think that way. Yeah. Right. So like it, it gets lost. And whenever that becomes the case, now there's no extrapolation. Now it's literally, I only memorize 12 times 12. So I don't know what 12 times 13 is. Mm. And it becomes problematic. And I think it's the exact same in these situations. It's like, it's not studying to look over a bunch of different spots and start to understand where the line of demarcation is between plus EV and negative EV plays. What's important is to understand why king 10 is plus ev in the spot and king nine is negative ev and if you don't then you didn't actually learn anything i feel like you've grown burke i feel like you've grown like now you're not calling people out you're like i'm not gonna do it because it's gonna turn into a reddit thread the other I mean, day i don't want somebody making a goddamn rap about me again the other day uh call you know, me fucking big bird on sesame street and shit you tweeted you tweeted uh i'm not gonna say the hand history because then you all can't take it you know you were like you played some hand and you were like, I got lucky. I felt like gambling. I got lucky. And people were like, hand history. And you were like, nah, 
not going to give it to you. Yeah, because Twitter, you, not a safe space. You guys can't take it. You, you, if I tell you the hand history. Right. If I start with, I played a hand very badly. I wanted to gamble and I want a 16K pot. And then I give the hand history. I'm going to get a thread full of critiques of why the hand's bad. Yeah. Even if you say, I want Even if to I gamble. started with, I played a hand bad and wanted to gamble. Yeah. And then I should get in there and be like, I also saw all you motherfuckers at the Baccarat table. What about that? <laughs> what about that? What's that for plus EV? Right. I saw you guys at the Aria playing Baccarat right next to the lemongrass when I was chilling with Shorty. Mm-hmm. I, I'm looking forward to, to us watching you stream today. We're about to go stream? Yeah. I'll probably go live at 4.30. So oh, for early today. What's a turbo? Nice. Hopefully, it's going to be a long one, despite it being a turbo. It's going to be a long turbo. I, I think if you make the final table, I'll call in to tuck and be like, I want to do it, man. I Thanks. Do it. I appreciate I, that. I, uh, I feel like you would do the same for me. Yeah. And I feel like you're going to... If you if you get on stream today and you make the final table, let's just say you make the final table, are you gonna wear the gold chain or what? I don't have a gold chain. I'm bringing one. No. <laughs> I hope you all enjoyed the show and uh, like, subscribe, share. I feel like we are on the path of growth, and I feel like Google is on the way. So, for myself and Berkey, thank you for watching. Have a drink on radio.